Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew, Bible teacher and pastor of Grace Valley Christian Center located in Davis, California. Today, Pastor Matthew continues in the Bible series on the book of Romans with this message entitled, The Glory of the Gospel. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Now, here's our teacher, Pastor P.G. Matthew. Heavenly Father, this morning we confess our sin of being ashamed of the gospel. And we are ashamed of the gospel because we respect the world and its power and its glory and its values and its philosophies and its might and its pleasures. Heavenly Father, have mercy upon us. Help us, O Lord, to believe the truth that there has been creation, there has been a fall, and there is a redemption. The world is not going to last. It is under God's judgment. Amen. The glory of the gospel. The glory of the gospel. The moment we are saved by the gospel, we become also debtors to all peoples of the world. So Paul in verse 14 declared himself a debtor. And so he says he is eager to preach the gospel in Rome. The mighty Rome. Yes, the gospel is a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks. So Paul probably was tempted to be ashamed of the gospel. Men of the world minimizes his sin and maximizes his own ability to save himself by his own righteousness. He glories in his homemade salvation. His philosophy, his religion, his materialism, science, asceticism, hedonism... His morality, his social action. He hates to cry out, Have mercy upon me, a sinner. He refuses to confess that he is born a sinner and so can only sin. That he can do nothing before God to save himself. That he must be saved from God's wrath. From sin and death. And that he must be saved by God himself. God must plan his salvation. God must accomplish this salvation. And he must apply this salvation effectually to every elect sinner. But as I said, a sinner hates the gospel. He mocks it. Because the gospel declares there is none righteous. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every sinner is under the wrath of God. 
Every sinner is the object of God's wrath. The Bible declares the wages of sin is eternal death. Man is dead in trespasses and sins. He cannot save himself because of his moral inability. He must repent of his sins and trust God's plan of salvation. He must trust in God's Son, Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins. This man hates to do. He is offended by the gospel. A gospel that first and foremost declares that man is a sinner. Born a sinner, practices sin, an enemy of God, under the wrath of God, and so on. You go and stand in the center of the city of Davis and speak about God created man. And man sinned, and so on. They will mock you. He hates to be called a sinner. He hates to repent of his sins. He hates to trust in Jesus Christ alone for his salvation. He hates to honor Jesus Christ as God and as the only Savior of the world. Paul, though tempted to be ashamed of the gospel, he says he was not ashamed of the gospel. And Paul is ready to go to Rome where powerful people live. Civilized people, educated people, rich people. Where Caesar and senators live. But Paul knows they all are sinners under God's wrath. Paul knows they need the gospel. So Paul is eager to go to the very heart of Rome. So also if we preach the gospel, the world shall heap upon us shame. You young people, you want to experiment it? Speak about Jesus Christ in your school. You call the students, you want to experience mocking, speak about Jesus Christ in your university. There will be instant mocking and persecution. And if you are not mocked and persecuted, it's because you have been ashamed of the gospel. Because we glory in the world and its power and its pleasure and its philosophy and its values. So what do we do? It is a given that they are going to mock you. Well, Jesus gives us how he dealt with it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, He despised the shame of the cross. He refused to let shame control him. And so also we must despise the shame that comes to us from the world. Turn to Mark chapter 8 and verse 38. Listen to the counsel of Jesus Christ himself about this shame. 
Mark 8 and verse 38. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the gospel, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. I am concerned about the Son of Man being ashamed of me when he comes. I'm not worried about what the world says about the gospel and about me. I despise that shame. I'm interested in my Lord Jesus Christ confessing my name to the Father. And turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And there St. Paul exhorts little Timothy, young Timothy... Who was ashamed of the gospel. Because the gospel brought about suffering from the world. And he didn't want to suffer for the cause of Christ. And so chapter 1, 2 Timothy verse 8. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord. Or ashamed of me his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel. How by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Don't be ashamed. Living the gospel, proclaim the gospel, brings about suffering. Suffer for the gospel. By God's power you have not received a spirit of fear, spirit of timidity. But a spirit of power and of sound mind. And ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be my witnesses. And a true child of God despises the shame of the world. A true child of God is eager to suffer for Christ's name. Enabled by the Spirit of God upon him. And knowing that God has given me eternal life. The world can only kill me. But my death will not destroy my eternal life. Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. They are held by my hands and my father's hands. Nobody is able to snatch them out of my hand. You are secure, sir, in our salvation. Be not ashamed of the gospel. Look at verse 12. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yes, living the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, sharing the gospel involves suffering and mocking and shame. It is inherent in the gospel. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. And am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. God will take care of my life. I am secure in Jesus Christ to whom I committed my life. Then there is given 
an illustration of a, a brother Onesiphorus, Second Timothy 1 and verse 16. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. The gospel offends the pride of sinners. Yet we are not at liberty to remove the offense of the gospel. As theological liberals have done, they say Jesus is not God. Don't worry that statement that he is God. Don't worry he is not God. Jesus is a good man, the best man ever lived. And they removed every miracle from the Bible because it is offensive to rationalist man. The liberals are anti-supernaturalists. They would say man is not at all sinful. Man can save himself by doing social work. There is no eternal hell. God is not wrathful. He is all love. And he saves all people, even the devil and demons. In fact, all are saved already. They will only need to realize it. They have taken the offense of the gospel. So also those who preach health and wealth gospel. You go to that place, you will never hear the offense of the gospel. That man is a sinner under the wrath of God, must repent of his sins. And believe in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for their sins. They'll tell you how to make more money. And then... I challenge you to go to most evangelical churches. They have taken away the offense of the gospel. They take polls and they want to know what you want the pastor to know. And they tell them you want rock music and we don't want you to preach about this sin business, repentance business, this hell business, this blood of Jesus Christ business. And don't you ever speak about living a holy life. And you go, I challenge you to go. You don't have to come next Sunday. You go and you will discover the offense of the gospel has been taken away. And when you take away the offense of the gospel, you have a gospel that will not save you. It is an important gospel. A gospel that entombs you In your hell. So let the Athenians mock. Let them call Paul a babbler. For speaking about a poor carpenter who lived in Judea. Who was crucified by Roman soldiers. Who says this Jesus was raised from the dead. This Jesus is the savior and judge of the world. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. In fact, it means I am proud of the gospel. I glory in this glorious gospel. So Romans 1, 16 and 17 is the theme of this great epistle. Listen to Dr. Lloyd-Jones. What he says about these two verses. I suppose that in a sense... 
There are no two verses of greater importance in the whole scripture than the two verses which we are now considering. And he has written over 50 pages on these two verses. Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. Are we ashamed of the gospel? Those who are ashamed of the gospel are respectful of the world. They cannot say and will not say that the world is crucified to me and I unto the world. They love the world. They are alive toward the world. They follow the world's ways and values and pleasures. And therefore, they are ashamed of the gospel. The world mocks the Bible truths which affirms that infinite personal God created all things. They say no. They believe in evolution. You say there has been a fall, a moral fall. And they say no, man is getting better and better and better. Not the fall of man, but the ascent of man. And you say, the Bible says, there is redemption. God is redeeming the lost world. And man says, there is no need for redemption. There has been a fall to begin with. And you say, there is a hell. They say, there is no hell. You say, there is a heaven. They say, there is no heaven. Death is the end of it. No, sir, don't be impressed by the world. Turn with me to First Corinthians. Listen to what God says about this fallen world and its glory and its rulers and its powers, its philosophies. First Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom. Among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Or read chapter 1, 1 Corinthians verse 20. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Turn to chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians and verse 31. For this world in its present form is passing away. Sir, you are buying real estate in Sodom. You are pitching your tent towards Sodom and you have arrived near Sodom and you are now in Sodom and you are a judge in Sodom. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 2 beginning with verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And now, For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of things comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God 
lives forever. Well, turn with me to Second Peter chapter 3. If you want to know something about this world, this Sodom. Second Peter 3 verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And verse 13, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. I didn't hear any amen or anything, sir. I just said, this world is going to be destroyed and a new world is coming for you and for me. And so invest in the world to come. So what are are Paul's reasons for not being ashamed of the gospel? Why is he glorying in the gospel, we must ask this morning. Why is he so eager to evangelize the whole world, including the capital of Roman Empire? And I say, number one, he experienced the power of the gospel in his own life. Sir, you will not witness to the gospel if you never experienced its transforming power in your life. He considered himself a good man. Not a sinner. He considered himself perfectly righteous by keeping the law. He did not need a savior. Then he heard Stephen speak of Jesus crucified, buried, risen and reigning. And he heard of others speak of this Jesus Christ. He opposed them all. He persecuted them. He killed them. He hated Jesus the Savior and Lord. Then on the road to Damascus, the risen Lord arrested him and saved him. He opened his eyes to truth of his sinfulness and his need of salvation. And he opened his eyes to the Savior, Jesus of Nazareth. Crucified, buried, and risen from the dead. Risen and reigning. And God forgave all his sins. Jesus justified him by his own perfect righteousness. And he commissioned him uh, to be his apostle to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. He speaks of this. Turn with me to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. And here he says, verse 4, If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee as for seal, persecuting the church as for legalistic righteousness, faultless, perfect. That's before he was apprehended by Jesus. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss. For the sake of Christ, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Jesus, my Lord, as my Savior, and as my Lord, and as my King. 
For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish. That means refuse, that means dung, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. For not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is received by faith. Or turn to Galatians chapter 2. Let me read to you verse 20 and 21. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Or turn to the book of Acts. And and, uh, after being confronted and saved by Christ... Here chapter 9 and verse 19. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogue that Jesus is the son of God. When we are saved by this mighty Christ. When we are transformed by the gospel. We will open our mouth and declare the gospel. If you are ashamed of the gospel, it is because we respect the world and its philosophies. It is a fallen world, sir. It is destined to be destroyed. If we are ashamed of the gospel, we are still in our sins. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, confessing our sins. He shall save you from his wrath. He shall save you from sin and eternal death. He shall set you free and you shall leap for joy. And you would proclaim the gospel. I was blind, but now I see. I was bound, but now I am free. I was dead, now I live. I was depressed and helpless. Now I rejoice in God myself. Savior all because of Jesus who died for my sins and raised for my justification Jesus thy blood and righteousness this Jesus thy blood and righteousness my beauty are my glorious dress we appear before God in that glorious dress May you open your mouths today to proclaim the gospel because Jesus saved you. You experience this great salvation and you experience this great salvation. Well, what type of a sinner did he save? Turn with me to First Timothy chapter 1. You see, we minimize our sin, you know. We minimize our sin. When we minimize our sin, we minimize the glory of Jesus Christ. And so, 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me the worst of sinners... Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Worst sinners. Jesus saves worst sinners. He's a great savior, a sufficient savior, a mighty savior. 
And so he declares, who is able to separate me from the love of God? And the answer, nothing, neither death nor life, nothing, nothing, nothing. I am in Christ. I am safe and secure from all along. I am saved. Christ saved me. I was blind. But now I see. What's the reason? He is the reason. He is the reason. He has saved us from his wrath. From my sin. From my guilt. From my punishment that is death and hell. He saved me from the power of sin. From the pollution of sin. And he will save me even from the presence of sin when he comes again. He is going to be giving me a glorious body. Like unto Christ's glorious body. And he is going to create a new heaven. A new earth where dwelleth righteousness. God deals with sin fully and completely. Reason number two. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Gospel. To angelion. Good news. The gospel is God's good news to a fallen world. Fallen world of only bad news from morning till evening. The gospel is the only God's light in a world of pitch moral darkness. When Adam sinned, all have sinned in him. And the whole world fell. Sinful man can only sin all the time. And Paul will prove this from verse 18 to chapter 3, verse 20. Fallen man, miserable man, wretched man, unrighteous man. But let me read to you from chapter 3, verse 10 through 18. There is no one righteousness, not even one. There is no one who understands. No one seeks God and so on. And now look, verse 21. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known. This is it. The gospel is the shaft of light coming into the pitch moral darkness of this miserable world that makes you alive that makes you see that makes you look to God and that be saved the gospel light pierces through the darkness of the miseries of the world has it happened to you Did God say, let there be light into your soul and there will be light. So Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Man is a sinner, man is under God's wrath, man is guilty, man dies and must die. Man cannot save himself. Non-righteous man needs a divine, infinite, perfect righteousness of God to stand before God. Man, his philosophy fails him, his religions fail him, his science fail him, his military power fail him, his medicine fail him, his technology fail him, his politicians fail him, his morality fail him. There is no gospel in this world. He needs a gospel from heaven. This epistle of Romans speaks 
of the gospel of God. Gospel concerning his son Jesus Christ crucified, buried, risen, ascended, and seated, and reigning as sovereign Lord of the universe. It is the gospel, sir. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 52. We preached through that book. Isaiah 52. It is this gospel is promised in Isaiah 52 verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. In other words, those who share the gospel are beautiful people. Inside out. They are beautiful people. Feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Hallelujah. And Isaiah chapter 61. And verse 1 says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. A good news promised in the law and the prophets now made manifest in history, in Jesus Christ. And every time the gospel is preached, the righteousness of God is revealed to us. God has brought good news for man from heaven, revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so let me read to you Luke chapter 2. And beginning with verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you the gospel. Good news of great joy that will be for all the people today in the town of David. A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ. The Lord. Hallelujah. God has sent us a Savior from heaven. Jesus Christ the Lord. He saves us from our sins. And all its deleterious and deadly effects. Number three. This gospel is a sorcery and unto salvation. Under salvation. Every sinner is drowning in the ocean of divine wrath. He is alienated from God. He is alienated from his neighbors. He is even divided and depressed in himself. All because of sin. Man is afraid. He is running away from God. He is banished from God and his blessings. He hates his own brother and kills him. There is enmity toward God and toward man. Man cannot love God and his fellow men. He needs to be saved from God's wrath, from his sin, from death. He needs needs to be saved to enjoy eternal life and eternal communion with God. He needs to be brought back to God having dealt with his sin problem that prevents him from coming to God's glory and God's presence. We need to be saved from wrath, Romans 5, 9. We need to be saved from hostility to God, Romans 5, verse 10. We need to be saved from alienation, Ephesians 2, 12. We need to be saved from sin, Matthew 1, 21. 
We need to be saved from being lost. Luke 19 and verse 10. We need to be saved from frustration and futility of our life. 1 Peter 1.18. We need to be saved from yoke of slavery. Galatians 5.1. We need to be saved from demon possession. Luke 8 verse 36. We need to be saved from sickness. Luke 8 and 48. We need to be saved from danger. Of going to hell. Matthew 8, 25 and 26. We need to be saved from this corrupt generation. Acts chapter 2 and verse 40. Yes sir. We need to be saved from. The sinner needs forgiveness. And he needs righteousness. Two needs sir. Two needs. And salvation brings this about. Powerful salvation. God regenerates him. Gives him a new nature. He experiences conversion. God justifies him. God adopts him. God sanctifies him. God glorifies him. God puts the Holy Ghost into him. Holy Spirit dwelling in him. Enlightening him. Teaching him. And empowering to live a life. That is pleasing in his sight. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life. And have abundant life. This salvation is speaking about abundant salvation. Fullness of salvation. Not a little bit of salvation. Fullness of salvation, sir. Beyond forgiveness. He needs communion with God, which is God's true blessing. The gospel Paul proclaims is the gospel that saved, that saves, and will save. I am saved by Jesus in the past when I trusted in him having heard the gospel. Jesus is my justification. And this Jesus saves me now by sanctifying me. Jesus is my sanctification. And the future, Jesus is going to glorify me. Jesus is my glorification. Full-orbed salvation. Hallelujah, sir. Body and soul, saved. Hallelujah. Qualified, fitted to stand in the presence of a glorious, all holy God. He said, be holy, and I am holy. And then we read, it is God who makes us holy. Hallelujah. Oh yes, and we know that in all things God works for the good. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those he predestined he also called those he called he also justified those he justified he also glorified Jesus Christ has become for us righteousness sanctification and redemption that is glorification once We were proud of our fig leaf apron. We were proud of the filthy rags that we covered ourselves with. Once we were proud of our own refuse that covered us. Done! 
Paul was proud of it. And then our eyes were opened and, and we understood it was filthy rag. It is our own tongue that we pasted onto our face and our rear end. And we gloried in it. Paraded our righteousness before everybody, especially before a holy God. We called ourselves perfect. Now I am clothed with the garments of heavenly salvation. Why should I be ashamed of the gospel then? Sir, I am proud of the gospel. Which changed me. Because it is gospel. Because it saves. I glory in it. I live the gospel. I proudly proclaim the gospel. To all. And if you are saved by this gospel of salvation, well, it's time that we showed it. Hallelujah. That we feel proud of it. That we glory in it. Not in our bank account, not in our job, not in anything, sir. Not in our family, nothing. I glory in the gospel that saved me. Hallelujah. You see, and then, don't be afraid of the world. The world is going to be destroyed. Declare the gospel to the world. God is depending on us. Cornelius, you go and ask for Simon Peter to come. And he will declare you. God is not depending on angels. It depends on us to declare the gospel. And if you are saved, let us be proud of it. And let's proclaim it. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you. Deliver us from our shame. Help us to be proud of this gospel that saved us. It is the gospel. There is no gospel in the world. It came down from heaven. And it is a gospel that gives us full salvation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to Grace and Glory Audio of this message entitled, The Glory of the Gospel. Come back soon for more transforming Bible teaching from Pastor P.G. Matthew.